0: Hello and welcome to the Michael Castle Group podcast series, Front Row. Margaret Throsby is my name and my special guest today uh, comes from the Australian production of Harry Potter and the Cursed Child, now playing at the Princess Theatre in Melbourne. He's the director, John Tiffany. John, welcome.
1: Thank you, Margaret. It's Great to see you again.
0: What makes Harry Potter, having been done in books, how many books are there? Seven. How many films are there? Eight. What makes it, what made it in your mind viable as a theatre production?
1: I, I didn't know that it was and that's what excited me about it. I think it, I thought it was such a such an immense challenge the idea of putting that world on stage but you know over the years I've had the great fortune to uh, collect <laughs> or amass around me a wonderful uh, group of incredibly creative people all, all of whom are directors in their own right and theatre makers designers, illusionists, movement directors, uh, writers. And I thought, well, I truly believe that theater can do anything and take us anywhere in a story. So maybe you should put that theory, you know, to to the test properly. Um, And I I love the heart of the story, you know, which is about a boy who is learning to deal with the death of his parents. He's an orphan and he's had a terrible, terrible childhood and then one day on his 11th birthday, he gets an owl, um, which tells him that he's actually a wizard and he's invited to go to Hogwarts school for wizards and witches. And, and I remember when those books came out, um, you know, thinking it's incredible because what 11 year old doesn't think that they, they should be getting an owl, telling them they're actually a witch or a wizard or a, 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 a superstar footballer or a superstar pop star or something. And, and so, um, you know, it, the, the, the fact that it's got these legions of incredibly devoted fans, I think, is, is because those people that were 11 desperately wanted that letter to come. We're able to live out that fantasy through Harry, Hermione and Ron.
0: Certainly, and certainly the, the books have proved unbelievably popular. 500 million, I think, half a yeah. billion I'm books counting. Sold. But that, to me, suggests that it's been done. It's been done. We've told the Harry Potter story. You said something a moment ago, you can do anything in theatre. Yeah. You can't. You can. You can. What can't you do? You can't do, for instance, what you can do on film. You can.
1: You can? Absolutely. Well, you saw the show yesterday. I did. (laughs) Yes, it really does. (laughs) You know, I I think, you know, I've, I've said this a couple of times since starting this project. The film has got green screen and CGI and we've got the audience's imagination. And both are equally powerful. Film has to do it in a literal way. So you know, you, if if you've got a, a scene in a lake underwater, you have to you have to convince the audience that the, those characters are un- underwater in a lake. We do, we we do we we also do that, but the audience know that they're not underwater in a lake. They know they're in a theatre on Spring Street in Melbourne, and yet they still gasp and. And 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 sit there in awe because what my team does is make them think that they're watching people underwater.
0: Were you worried that people might focus just on how the heck did they do that, or because I didn't? I mean, at the, mm. in the fir- probably <clears> in the first ten minutes, I thought, gee, gosh, you know, how are they. But then I became so immersed in it that yeah. I didn't. I lost that.
1: Yeah, wonder wondering. That's because really, the, the you know fantasy. I think, is such an underrated genre. Um, it, it's dismissed by the literary um, sector. And, and actually, when you think of the Grimm's tales, the Aesop's tales, C.S. Lewis, you know, J.R. Uh, J. Tolkien um, and J.K. Rowling, you know, what they do is they, they take fantasy and actually use it to explore human experience in a way that's even deeper than realism. So, for example, should you, you know, as has as been the awful experience for people, should you have lost a child, a child, your child dies before you, which is, you know, apparently the most natural thing I can imagine it's the most natural thing ever, then, you know, then in fantasy, you can actually go about trying to uh, reverse that. And actually, so you see the you see the depth of the grief even further because you see the lens that someone might go to because it's a possibility. Mm. Um, you know the the, the the scene which I probably is where you fell into the story where Harry and Albus have a big argument and Harry says something unforgivable to his middle son Albus. You know, the, then that child is is going to have a terrible, terrible you know, a few years, rest of his kind of childhood, and in in, in in fantasy, they can go on and almost destroy the world, which is what you feel like doing, I think, when, if your dad did say that to you, um, something as unforgivable as he does not spoiling it. So it can take it to an extreme, which I think it's like in Hansel and Gretel, they effectively kill their mother, but they don't, they kill, they kill a stepmother who becomes a witch. And in, you know, there's some brilliant, uh, kind of books and essays written about the fact that kids or well, as they're growing up, it's very Freudian I suppose, always have a desire to kill their parents and in Hansel and Gretel they can exercise that desire without actually doing it. In Cinderella they can, they can, they can eliminate their siblings without actually having to do it and and uh, you know, you so you can, you can, you can live through in fantasy The act of doing something which you want to do as you grow up without actually doing it and it helps you find your place in the world
0: Just with that in mind with with today's world where identity politics is the name of of one of the games anyway Um it is said that an indigenous person can't write a non-indigenous Work and so on or or a gay person can't or a non-gay person can't Mm -hmm. understand what it's like to be Mm -hmm. in your case directing a work and working so deeply on a work where all this stuff happens, whether like losing a child or Mm. father who dies or whatever. I'm not going to ask you, do you think you have no right to be doing it, but do you find it hard to get into that world?
1: Not at all, no. I mean, I I, I kind of separate those. I mean, I I separate those two issues, really. I I, I think there's a great thing happening, uh, questions of representation. And, for example, if... The Royal Court Theatre in London, where I work as an, a part-time associate director, if a, uh, as has happened, a, a, a Australian uh, Thai writer writes a play set in Singapore, then I I think we need to find a someone who understands that experience to direct it. For example, um, and I, I, wouldn't, you know, and I think that's right because we've had so many years of white men directing those plays. Should they ever be programmed, that there's a long way to go before <laughs> before balance is is found. To do with people losing their children, etc. That that that's not something which has being underrepresented. So, and, and also it's something that I feel like the world that I'm from, the, the, the culture that I'm from, the community I'm from has experienced that. So I feel absolutely fine about, you know, asking those questions and, you know, I, I think that representation and empathy, I think are two very separate things. The
0: The play starts at the end of the last book, Nineteen years after the, act, the the previous action, Harry's now nearly forty, or in, is forty, and he has children of his own. And I wonder whether you, um, what what amount of input did you have to the actual storyline? Because you worked with Joe Rowling, didn't you? Yeah,
1: yeah. We so I, I invited Jack to collaborate, and then um, and then organised a time to go up to Edinburgh to. to uh to meet joe where where actually i'd first met joe uh 20 years earlier had you but, yeah well we, kind of not we not really had conversations but i'll just do this as a little sidebar for you the but the uh, the, the first job i ever had was at the traverse theater in edinburgh which is where, where we where Watch was first in association with with the national theater of scotland but my first job where i was in a, as an apprentice assistant director and it was one of the first three three cafes in Edinburgh, uh, the cafe attached to the theatre, to have an espresso machine. Oh, yes! (laughs) So, so, um, and I kept seeing this woman whenever I'd be in the cafe and she would be sitting with a pram and with nursing a cappuccino for three hours. And... Now and again, she would say, Oh, do you mind if, you know, it was all, all sign language, no real she conversation. Doing? She was writing. Oh, writing? She was writing in longhand. Was she
0: writing Harry Potter? And
1: the Philosopher's Stone. No. But obviously, I didn't know that yet. Yet at that point, I thought she was writing a terrible play that she would make me read and I would have to reject. <laughs> But I was still very nice to her, always been nice to everybody, especially if they're writing and they've got a baby with them um, and they're sitting there for three hours with one coffee and she would go to the three cafes in turn. About 18 months later, uh, all over the papers was this uh, publishing phenomenon that had happened with Harry Potter. After being rejected by 17 publishers, it had been published and become an overnight phenomenon and and I realized it was her so 20 years later in 2014 Sonia Friedman introduced us um, at a hotel in London over breakfast and she said I know you and I said yes you do and I, I, re- I kind of uh, recounted, recounted the story and she said oh you are one of my protectors and she kind of in that moment I think this is, this is going to work It's a good
0: basis for a, a- connection such as the one that you've had yeah. in creating this work.
1: Also knowing her before that first book was published in a way, knowing through sign language I suppose. Um, so yes, um, so, so when I took Jack up to Edinburgh I was very nervous about the meeting because writers are famously solitary creatures and I shouldn't have bothered because after about 30 seconds I was kind of going, hello, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm John. The, I'm the director. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm friends with both of you. <laughs> so um, so they got on like a house on fire. Um, and, and in fact, we weren't allowed to say a word to anybody that we were working on the project at that point. And then on the way, on the plane back, I remember from Edinburgh to London, Jack said, well, I think Jo's blown it because she's just started to follow me on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> but that... So we, we worked together for about a year in both Edinburgh and London, developing the story. Once the play was written, once yeah. it was on the page... Mm-hmm. Uh,
0: I, well, obviously you wouldn't have started thinking about the production. You would have started thinking about it way back when you started. But yeah, what, in was tandem. Your, what was your vision? What, what did you have in your mind how it was going to happen?
1: I had a kind of guiding philosophy, which was, which, you, which you'll laugh, but I haven't seen it yesterday. My guiding philosophy was I want this, the aesthetic of this, to be things that kids could do at home. So I want to build trains out of suitcases and I want cloaks you can borrow your mum's big old winter cloak and you know swish around and do do certain spells with that um, you know I want twigs to be able to be wands um, and I you know obviously we do things <laughs> but that was my guiding principle to all the designers and everybody I said I want I want it to be something that kids can create I don't want to do something beyond what theatre and the rough magic of theatre is.
0: You've been involved in the London, New York and now Australian productions. And um, uh, Stephen had things to say about the Australian production, about his feeling about the, the greater physicality perhaps of Australians. It's a generalization But I think that you can probably lay lay some claim to that. Yeah, were you? Uh, okay about it being produced in Australia and you've worked here before with black watch and once of course um, How did you feel about it when it was suggested?
1: Yeah? Uh, oh, I was I mean the fact that this was going to be third I think you know Broadway opening in London which felt right and then, and then over to Broadway um and then Australia, you know, was mooted as the, as the third production. And I said, well, that's brilliant, because I will go there for, for, for the whole time.
0: Can I ask you this? The The title of the play sort of intrigues me. Harry Potter and the Cursed Child. Mm-hmm. It's a bit close to Harry Potter and the Christ Child, in my mind.
1: Yes, yeah, I mean, there is something religious about the Harry story. Not, not in a cloying way, I hope, but, you know, in, in the last book, he, he does die. And then he's resurrected, mm. there's the resurrection I mean, stone.
0: It's very, there's a lot of sort of Christian um, uh, yeah, iconography I, I or think, whatever the word is. I think
1: Joe would call it more pagan. Okay. She, she, she would be more comfortable with that probably than Christian. I mean, you know, the the, the, the fight against for good, good versus evil is, of course, um, you know, all through the Bible, but it's also all through our life and all through our current mm. times. Um, Yes, but the in fact the first idea was Harry Potter and the Curious Child, and
0: curious I, meaning inquisitive or yeah, curious inquisitive, meaning a bit weird. Inquisitive. Okay. Uh,
1: being al being very specific to to Albus um, Harry's middle child, and the idea that he was he wanted he was curious about the world, but I I I thought it wasn't quite dark enough for what the story. how how it was evolving, and also it was very close to Curious Incident of the Dog in the Night Time, which had been a very successful book and stage production. And so I suggested Cursed, and Joe and Jack both, with their wonderful dark hearts, (laughs) kind of (laughs) 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 leapt on it. And also it could cover many characters in the play.
0: Yeah. In a book, you have an authorial voice. You have either the person telling the story or mm. telling the story about other people, so you can reveal what they're thinking. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know what people are thinking mm-hmm. on the page. Mm-hmm. But you can't do that in theatre so much, can you?
1: Well, you can. I mean, and we do with Harry a little bit. And
0: I was just thinking as I sort of... <laughs> <laughs> this sort of puts a hole in my
1: argument. But well, uh, Shakespeare did it with soliloquies, and obviously we don't have soliloquies. We don't have anything that kind of... Um, that kind of abrupt in terms of, you know, speaking directly to the audience, but it's one of the things that I always work on with with the Harrys and, and I have with Gareth and actually it really unlocked something for Gareth when I said, the audience are the only people that you can bounce off because you're, you're not being honest with anybody else. I said to Gareth and it really unlocked it for him that... You know, he's he's not honest with any of the characters on stage, but he can be honest with the audience. So he has to use the audience almost like a soliloquy as he's working through things.
0: For my way of thinking, it it comes off as obviously spectacular and exciting and thrilling and all of that, but it's really basically a story about relationships, isn't yeah. it?
1: It's a story about how do you be a parent how do you become a parent how do you become a, a good parent when you've never had a parent yourself had parents yourself and I think it's it's exploring that whereas the books explored what you know how, how how do you grow up to be a, a a kind of whole person when when you have to deal with grief from the age of 14 months which is what Harry was when his parents died um, and and, and, and what we do and what Joe allowed us to do in the story is go right back to the genesis, to the origin of, 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 Harry's, um, of Harry's story. And I didn't think she'd let us. Jack and I were absolutely convinced when we came up with the idea that, that and the end of part one, we thought she wouldn't let us do it. And she was absolutely on board immediately, even though it changes the canon. Um, in terms of what happened um, in in back back in the day, mm. at, at Harry's beginnings. And what does
0: Joe Rowling think of this? What does she What has she said to
1: you? Um, she's become a great friend of both mine and Jack's, and um, we we see each other a lot. Uh, we, we communicate a lot, um, and. It really hit her because, of course, she'd never been through a theatre process before. So she was there all through the script development, through the readings and workshops, through rehearsals, but there in a, theater, in, a, in a rehearsal room. So Was there
0: ever a point where you or she or Jack said, oh, this
1: is just not going to quite work? No. No? We, ne- we, we, always, we always believed it could. And then when she came to the final dress rehearsal um, and she was sat next to me, and at the end at, you know 20 minutes before the end of part 2 she had a real moment because of course she hadn't she hadn't thought you know she hadn't felt that way about uh, about Harry's beginnings since she started writing the book when she herself had become an orphan mm. and she actually had, she, she had a little conversation with herself, as she subsequently told me. She said, well, either I can do a name, normal JK Rowling and pretend it's all fine and go backstage and make a joke, or I can tell the cast, when I took her backstage, that she was sh- shook to the core by what she'd just witnessed and she didn't think that she was going to ever feel like that about, about Harry again, and, um, and, and thank you.
0: I must give you very big satisfaction. I remember your verbatim play, Black Watch, Mm. with great affection. I Mm. loved that, loved that play, Mm. which was on quite a long while ago. 2008. Is it that long? Yeah. 11 years ago, Uh, for the Australian production. Have you ever had a failure, John?
1: (laughs) I can not imagine, because once was
0: a huge success. They don't come
1: to Australia. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, failure, let's, uh, you know, you you learn mostly from the shows that don't work. I mean, I've been very lucky. I I do less and less shows because something like this, I had to put two years full-time work into, uh, and it was worth it. If you're going to do that for any show, it might as well be Harry Potter, you know, knowing that 70% of the audience would be first-time theatre goers, I thought, this is theatre, really, you know, this is... If I mess this up it's not just messing this show up, it's messing people's first time experience of theatre up. And, and I thought, no, 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 we're not gonna do that. We believe, we believe, we believe. Are you happy with the Australian
0: production? Oh,
1: the actors, well, I feel so at home here you know, they, it, my my soul feels at home in Melbourne. My other half is from Melbourne, mm. which helps, but also this company of actors, um, you know, people I know from Once, who I still keep in touch with. We've got a lot of the same crew, certainly all the sound department at the theatre, all, they all worked on Once here, we're in the same theatre, the Princess Theatre, just down the road. It feels like a second home to me, you know, in, and I think, I think we talked about this before, you know, the Yorkshire soul is very, very well nurtured by the Australian soil. Was it,
0: was it always going to be theatre for you? Do you
1: yeah, think? Yeah, I think so.
0: I think I remember your dad was in a brass band, my and, your, brass and band. your mother was in amateur dramatics. Dramatic, not right.
1: she? And then she became a, a district nurse, and my dad became an engineer. But my nephew, who's sixteen, has just gone to Chetham's Music School in Manchester, very good music school, to play the trombone. Ah, oh, so the brass continues. Fantastic, well um, you've got
0: the accent too. Yeah, so exactly. See, yeah. <laughs> It's really, really lovely to talk to you, John. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you, great to see
0: you. And again, it's a Margaret. wonderful production. congratulations. Thank you.